Ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek 5'11", 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous 5'11", 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. Now we're good. Excellent. We're back. Here we we're are. We're good. Once again, Peak yes. Speak is the name of the podcast. Correct. <laughs> Excuse me. That was really delightful. I'm glad yes. we've really held on to our audience with that really solid opening. It's either that or just struggle with it the whole time. <laughs> Excellent. All right. It's holiday season. That means there's stockings to be stuffed and elves to be cuffed. Well, today's sponsor, Manscaped, has gone global with the tools to guarantee you will score under the tree and the mistletoe. Manscaped is the leader in men's below-the-waist grooming, and they have served more than 4 million men worldwide. If my math is correct... That's almost 8 million balls. Get 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com with the code PEAKSPEAK. There are some picks for Surefire Manscaped stocking stuffer winners, including Manscaped's signature cologne, Shears 2.0 luxury four-piece nail kit, Crop Mops ball wipes for your stanky-ass balls, and the Crop Reviver ball toner and refresher, because who doesn't need toned and refreshed balls at Christmas time? Get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with the code PEAKSPEAK. Be the ballsiest gift giver this year with Manscaped. Did you hear that thunderclap just then? I did. I didn't realize it was thunder, but I definitely heard it. Yeah, well, my car got destroyed by hail about a month ago, and I only just got it back from the smash repair place, the hail repair place. It took like two weeks. So... If it starts hailing, I'm bolting to the car and moving it because I'm not having that happening again. The whole of Canberra still has post-traumatic stress from the crazy hailstorm we had like yeah. a year or two ago. That like there were empty lots and paddocks all around Canberra full of cars that were either written off or waiting to be seen. And I know people that waited months to get their car repaired. So. Or got it written off by insurance and then bought it back for a third of the price with hail damage from an auction site, which was cool as well. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I, yeah, I, it, it's nothing like that's ever happened to me. So it was the first time and it's just annoying. Like yeah. you have to pay the excess and it's like, not my fault. I didn't do anything no. wrong. I just existed in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, and yeah, it, there's just so much cost involved in uh, some cosmetic damage. It's annoying. It is a frustrating process. But fortunately, you can calm your nerves and get all excited for your run out to your hail-damaged car by stuffing your face with delicious caffeine from our good friends Prism Coffee Co. Amazing. You can use the code PEAKSPEAK there for dollars off i don't remember what percentage it is off i think it's 10 anyway you'll save some money and get some delicious coffee while you're at it yeah i mean if you're saving money you'd be stupid not to buy it right 
Exactly. It was. It's more expensive not to buy it than it is exactly. to buy it. Exactly. Absolutely. Point. Yeah. Right. Well, a little birdie tells me that you're cooking up some meat. Mm-hmm. I am indeed. Uh, I've just put two briskets that I think weighed in together at about 13 or 14 kilos in total. Uh, They are rubbed and bagged and have gone into their warm bath for the next probably 36 hours or so. Uh, We've got the Burley Christmas party on this Saturday, which by the time you listen to this will be last Saturday. Uh, So yeah, I've got some briskets sous-vide that I will finish in the smoker picked up a bunch of chickens that i'm going to spit roast and uh, a bunch of pork to do pulled pork so we're eating tacos excellent like 140 fucking tacos the other day that was an interesting experience <laughs> um but yeah it's going to be a good time we're doing like a end of year testing event uh because essentially a bunch of our guys that would normally compete aren't competing at the moment um or haven't competed uh, and then it also gives our like non powerlifting athletes a chance to do some like baseline testing for next year. So uh, we're going to do that, and then eat some food and sit yeah. around and drink some beers. It's going to be a good time. Did you end up going sixty eight degrees? Yes, I did. Excellent. Uh, yes. And yeah, I'll probably do it for thirty six hours or so. Yeah, then- that's what that's what I did one for our birthday party here a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it was good, but the uh, the thinner ends of the brisket kind of dried out a bit. Now it's still good if they were cut really really thin yeah uh, fair but enough. nothing like yeah well because we're doing it on tacos i'm okay with everything being chopped real thin and done that way so yeah mm. should be a good time i'm excited i'm gonna pull a deadlift max that'll be interesting what do you think you'll hit uh i'm pretty confident i can pull 250 uh i pulled 230 last weekend with like a little bit of a slack up and that was pretty comfortable so i'm pretty confident i can just get really fucking angry uh in a room full of people and pull 250 um so that'll be interesting that's sort of within about 10 to 15 percent of my best ever deadlift yeah and i'm like 20 odd kilos lighter than i was when i pulled that so yeah that comparison uh, post you did was really cool yeah mostly i just am horrified at how fat i look in that first fucking video that uh that was i think that's the heaviest i've ever weighed in and i remember deliberately eating enough food that i was consistently over 140 uh because i wanted to weigh in in the supers i'd never competed in the supers before so i was like uh, now i've competed in the supers and at some point in the somewhat distant future i'll probably do a comp in the hundreds like cut down and do a comp in the hundreds mm-hmm. and then i'll have done five weight classes like i've done everything from a hundreds up to supers so that's awesome yeah it's um and i actually forgot about it. i thought i hadn't done a supers comp and i'm like well i'm not going back up there because if i go oh. back up there i'll die like i'll never come back down <laughs> um but yeah they, i looked up the results and discovered i weighed in just over 140 so that's mm-hmm. my supers comp ticked excellent I'm, I've done four weight classes, 90, 100, 110, 125. Yeah, cool. You could make 140 if you really wanted to. Uh, yeah, I have no intention of um, I'm not sure your hips would very much enjoy <laughs> you being 128. That, well, they love me squatting when I'm fat because there's so much padding yeah. there. Yeah, but they hate me walking when I'm fat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, Man, the, the funniest part of that video from, yeah, it was 2016, was it? The, there's only like a step and a half as i turn away from the bar and walk off the platform and i can see so much of my completely unathletic fat ass self in that step and a half to turn like i'm like oh man 
I just looking at that feel better now as a person than I did then because I don't walk like I'm actually a fridge rocking from side to side as I fall forwards. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it's nice to be not quite so fat anymore and like still kind of strong. So we'll Absolutely. see. Absolutely. Well, I look forward to seeing what you get. Anyway, speaking of the testing, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, so uh, I have... I'm not going to say been bullying, but I've been uh, working on discussing with a few people about this training, uh, this testing event that we're doing. There's been a lot of trepidation or a little bit of trepidation from a few people because they're struggling with the concept of hitting maxes in an environment where they feel underprepared. For most of our guys, like some of them have had access to like a full gym setup over lockdown uh, and have been training consistently and that's great. Others had access to some equipment and weren't as consistent. But either way, we've had about eight weeks from when the gyms reopened to this weekend. And um, yeah, a few people have just expressed uh, hesitancy at the concept of testing. And I think a lot of it comes from a, an ego-filled or ego-driven place where the frame that you're having this discussion about testing in is exclusively about hitting all-time PBs. And so the the regular discussion I've had has been about reframing this opportunity from I'm going to hit all-time PBs. And in some cases, we've got people that will do that. But in other cases, I think the more important discussion is this is a baseline line in the sand for where I'm at right now and a really useful performance marker for the progress you're going to make over the year to come. Uh, and I think that mindset can be extended out into post-lockdown, post-COVID competitions because I know there are a lot of powerlifters across the country who haven't competed for a while uh, and are consequently feeling a little bit hesitant about getting back onto the platform until they feel ready, which is, you know, this is a conversation I have with complete newbies about mm. competing all the time. And yet we've got all these relatively seasoned powerlifters having the same discussion either with themselves or with each other. Uh, and I think it's, yeah, just worth talking about. For sure. I think, you know, it's, it's, it's classical conditioning, right? We, we, um, we get into this, we get into this game and for a very, very long time, when you do test, when you do max out, when you do do a competition, you generally hit PBs, even if they're only small, for, and it lasts for a long time. And it's only after you get a wealth of experience and that um, progress starts to slow down or you run into setbacks or injuries or whatever, you start to realize that the concept of testing is not about testing for PBs, it's about seeing where you're at. It's yeah. about doing the best that you can with the strength that you have at that very point in time. Um, and you, uh, it's really hard to switch that mindset from I test to get a PB to I test to see where I'm at. Um, and it's a really hard pill to swallow. A lot of people really struggle with that concept of um, going to do something heavy and not breaking a PB and seeing it as a massive failure rather than just a reflection of where your strength is at that very point in time, which is fantastic data to have. Yes. Um, and uh, it's a, like exactly the, the word you've used a couple of times now in this conversation is the idea of like a baseline. And I mean, that's that's perfect for the kind of circumstances that we've been in where we haven't been able to train consistently. There's been a lot of disruptions with lockdowns and everything. Um, identifying where your baseline is at is just a good way to be like, OK, here's where I'm at. Here's the new benchmark. Now my job is to get on top of this and beat this and beat this. And you get like, don't post this on Instagram, but you kind of get like post baseline PBs. 
that yeah. may not be all time and then you keep working up and then you get all time pbs again yeah. don't post your baseline pbs and everything only do it when you do all time pbs but <laughs> for for all intents and purposes yeah and i think that like that's definitely the discussion we've had is like this is probably the last opportunity all of us are going to have to lift really heavy this year because the reality of life in the week either side of christmas and new years is that most of us probably aren't training that hard there's probably some interruptions in and around that and so instead of this being about you know this is a success or failure thing it's just about an opportunity to come and have a good time and lift some heavy things and then essentially draw a line in the sand through the last two years of haphazard training with the hope that the next year is going to be somewhat normal who the fuck Mm. even knows what normal means anymore but to then be in a position to have that measuring stick because then like you said you've got this opportunity to look back and go hey this is where i was at the end of that two really shitty years and now i'm in a position where i'm better than that whereas if you don't have that like i I think there's a motivational element that can come out of that because it's it's your measuring stick then right where Mm. If you don't have that number, your only comparison is going to be like pre-COVID PBs or your all-time PBs. And suddenly it begins to feel really uh, hard to get any momentum going because you feel like you're a long way from where you feel like you should be or, or where you have been. And so being in a position where you have a number that's real and realistic and actually something that you've hit recently you can then use that to build the momentum going forward from there that hailstorm looks like it's uh coming real fast there thomas if if there's hail i'm going out there but so far it's just water Um, excellent yeah one thing you one thing you alluded to before when you were talking about um yourself going for potentially a 250 deadlift and you said you know that's within sort of um 15 to 20 percent of where your max was um i actually try and foster that in lifters when we're in less than ideal circumstances and for whatever reason there is a test of a max or they go off program and just be like i needed to lift something heavy so i maxed out my bench sorry coach kind of thing if if you're able to hit i, I use the 10 percent range within 10 percent of what your all-time pb is in my head you're just as strong as you've ever been yeah like you're you're within striking range of a new pb so to be able to hit within 10 percent, and i use this as a benchmark like uh post-injury or in this lockdown situation post-lockdown if you're able to get that close within striking range it's a really good demonstration of the fact that you haven't haven't lost strength the only exception yeah. where the only time i'd say there would be an exception to that is if you've had um you know the perfect circumstances the perfect prep you've done a peak and everything and you're not uh you're under or you're within that 10 percent range but you're under your pbs it probably just says that programming needs more attention or something's falling yeah. apart but you know in these specific circumstances where things haven't been ideal to get that close within striking range of of your all-time pbs is, is massive and if you've done some semi-consistent training you should be within that so like yeah. if you fall short and you're like fuck i used to be able to squat two 200 and now i've only hit 185 that's within that 10 percent range it's fucking awesome yeah you should be stoked yeah exactly and that 10 percent range like you say striking distance you know that's that's like one or two decent training blocks and you're probably there you know and that i think is a perspective that a lot of people really struggle with in the powerlifting world is this idea that the only measure of progress is your all-time pbs and 
any movement away from that is the thing that becomes really hard. So that's where people struggle with the idea of like less, uh, less specific training blocks where they're using weights that are much lower than what they know they're capable of. And yet it feels really hard having that idea that as long as you're within about 10% of your strength for most of the year, then you're probably good to go at any point, right? You can pick mm. that powerlifting meet and go, yeah, cool. I've got 12 weeks to push to this and I'm good to go. Uh, I think it's, yeah, it's when you're using that as an excuse to be shit because you've had a perfect competition and it didn't work out um, that you've, you're going to run into problems. Yeah, and I mean, like, we, we should definitely acknowledge we get it. We, we get the emotional attachment to the numbers. We get it's a lot easier said than done to just disconnect and be okay with hitting less than what you've hit. Man, the only reason we can say that is because we've had we've to work it. through this. Yeah. Uh, and we're in a position on the other side of this discussion to see the light through the trees you know mm. yeah like I, i'm in a i'm in a very empathetic position right now you know coming into i'm competing on sunday and um uh three to four months out it was looking like everything was going really really well um thank you so much my amazing gym manager bridget has come and grabbed my keys knowing that i'd be stressing about the hail so she's going to move my car amazing <laughs> um yeah, what was I saying? Uh, I'm competing on Sunday and three to four months out, everything was going swimmingly um, uh, without going to my whole life story. My, my hips are shit and my left hip particularly uh, started causing some massive back issues. And basically I could only handle one set of squats and deadlifts per week for about the last three months. Um, and I mean, it's just not enough volume to really drive the kind of um, strength training stimulus that I needed, but it was enough to do the work and I could you know, do my best to find strategies around it. And I'm about where I was when I was my absolute strongest, maybe a little bit ahead. Like there's been a lot of PBs and training with, uh, you know, the numbers that have been hitting. Um, and just in the last two weeks, my hips decided to give up the ghost. And, and now I'm sort of sitting on the fence as to e whether I even compete. And it would be really easy to take a very um, a catastrophic mindset at this stage and be like, oh, everything's falling to shit. But my mindset is kind of like, well, this is the reality of where I'm at. Uh, I'm doing absolutely every, everything I can to control what I can tr control. Um, powerlifting's not going anywhere. There, there will be opportunities for me to do this again. And I can keep training. And I've made a shitload of progress. Like, even if I can't express it on one particular day, that doesn't actually mean that much because it's a local competition, which most of the competitions that you do are. It doesn't mean that much. I know that if I had the opportunity to do that healthy, I'd be... Uh, better than I was before and that's enough for me like in my head I've got PBs even though I haven't showcased them yeah I, I think for me that's always been the most fascinating aspect of powerlifting is that you can be as strong as you like in the gym in the circumstances that you are under control of and then you have to be able to express it on a given day at a given moment taking into account all of the context that has you there at that time and mm that it's like it's a double-edged sword right because for me as someone who's done a lot of comps had good comps and bad comps i can look at that objectively and go hey sometimes it's just not there on the day sometimes you didn't have the day you want right like i was in sydney over the weekend uh coaching one of my online lifters in her first comp post lockdown so first time she's competed in like two years uh she missed a warm-up in the squats like just wasn't there it wasn't you know she wasn't ready for it basically we took 10 kilos off her squat opener, just adjusted the plan, right? And that was the discussion we had the whole day was, look, 
this isn't going to be your best day. We've established that, but we're going to do our best to make up all the ground we can. She still had an all-time PB total, like hit PBs in the squat and the bench and the deadlift, I think. Uh, so had a really good day, but it wasn't what we were expecting based mm. on the training performance. And that idea that you just have to adjust with the context that's there on the day is a thing that a lot of people struggle with in powerlifting because you've got all of this data in your training lead up that suggests you should be really strong and you should be able to hit these numbers. And it's the ego driven stubborn lifter who butts up against the context that's right there fucking in front of them on the day that ends up having a really bad comp because they're mm. unwilling to adjust their expectations and take what wins are there at that time on that day. It's really, it's really funny if you put this in another situation. Like imagine if I was like, look, man, I really love our friendship. And to reward you tomorrow morning, you're going to see $2 million in your bank account. And you wake up and you see 1.5 million. You're like, what the fuck? This is fucked. I wanted $2 million. Like you're way ahead of where yeah. you were before, but you're so dissatisfied because you had in your head something else. Yeah, exactly. Expectations. The power of expectations in and around the emotional attachment to numbers is mm. is the thing that you've got to conquer at some point. Unfortunately, I don't think there's like a prescription for teaching you how to conquer this other than talking about it a lot. Yeah. Uh, because I don't think anyone taught me how to remove the emotional attachment from numbers. I still don't all the time. Like I am still attached to those numbers. I'm just way better at recognizing when that emotional attachment is serving me well and when it isn't. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that just comes from a lot of experience and a lot of, you know, heartache. Like I've fucking bombed at comps. I mean, super bummed about it. I've done all of the shitty end of performance to know that it sucks. But like you said, powerlifting's not going anywhere. Mm. You're going to do another comp at some point. So it's just about recognizing it's done and you can move forward now, knowing that that was the baseline for that context right now. I'm actually pretty glad you brought that up because like in reflection, you know, we we've spoken so much about the fact that the the skill of emotionally di disconnecting from numbers is something that comes from experience. It's a really important skill to have, but we've never really touched on the value of having an emotional connection to numbers. Um, so like, I, again, I hate to keep referring to myself, but like I think of um, Pro, Raw, Pro Raw 11 was my strongest comp. Like I, I came into that comp the strongest, even though I was injured, I'd torn my adductor four weeks out. I hit a 25 kilo PB squat. I hit a five kilo or seven kilo PB bench. And I was set to end up uh, pulling for 900. And I, I wanted 900. Um, and so I went into the deadlifts. Everything was going swimmingly into my second last warm up. I tweaked something and ended up having to uh, switch to conventional and just pull a number to, to get me on the board. Um, so I, I didn't get the opportunity to, to shoot for what I was going for. And now I think of this coming weekend Again, the prep hasn't been perfect, but I've got it in me to hit that number. And if I can do what I need to do on squat and bench press, I think having the attachment to the number that I really kind of want is gonna provide me the push I need to just throw all caution to the wind and pull for what I want. Uh, like there is value in that, I guess where, where we really emphasize the importance of not putting so much emotional attachment into the numbers is when you do lose sight of the progress in front of you where you do lose lose sight of some logic and be like john said willing to change the plan on the day because ultimately the goal of any competition is to lift the most weight that you can at that point in time which yes. might be different to what you've done in training 
Yeah, and that it's the at that point in time bit that people forget about. They don't. They all they do is look at the training data because it's really easy to track training data in powerlifting. Like you can build a really nice spreadsheet that tells you all the numbers you've done and gives you predicted maxes and like I do all of that shit as part of my coaching. I love it. I enjoy mm. looking at the data. But by the time you hit the platform, especially once you've hit your openers, the data doesn't fucking mean anything anymore. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, the data doesn't exist. The only decisions I'm making are the numbers that are happening in the context of that room right now. Here we are. Let's see what go- what mm-hmm. happens, right? Because uh, it's especially as a coach, it's really easy sometimes to probably put like push your lifters a little too hard because you're referencing numbers that you know they can hit and not and like essentially letting your ego get in the way of their results as well Mm. where potentially being a little bit more conservative with an attempt is a useful strategy it leaves some room to you know push a bit harder on attempt three or whatever the case may be but i think uh it, it works in both directions right you can get a lot out of having an emotional attachment to a number and being able to step it up and hit it but it can also be yeah that the other edge of the sword where it can be the thing holding you back because you're so concerned about that number that uh, then you can't actually see what's going on around you. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's such a such a huge part of what we do as coaches is just like being aware of all of this and making all these calculations and decisions and. Um, being able to do that and remove emotion from the situation so the lifter can't see uh, you know you feeling what you're feeling sometimes uh, because you know, that, that can be infectious and if you're feeling that they're about to have the shittest day ever you have to frame that in a way that allows them to remain positive even though the numbers aren't quite what they want i always find it hard and i'm sure you have i mean correct me if i'm wrong i'm sure you have these discussions a lot as well you know lifters often present their own goals but lifters also come to coaches a lot and say, what do you think I should do on the day? What do you think I'm capable of doing on the day? And my answer, because they want an answer to the question that is a number. And I'll often slip that in there somewhere, but hopefully covert enough for it to like go by the wayside and be kind of clouded by what I really want to say, which is my job is to get you the absolute highest number possible on that day. Yeah. You know, I don't know what that's going to be until we're there on that day. Then I might say, you know, I think you're capable of doing this and this is something that we should probably be aiming towards. Normally we're having this conversation six months out and I'm like, bro, come on, like we'll decide yeah. two weeks out. <laughs> we'll have this yeah, conversation yeah. two weeks out of the call. Yeah. Um, but like this idea of like the coach being the gatekeeper to the numbers that you are going to be able to hit is a real like take that responsibility and give it to someone else so you've got someone to blame when everything goes wrong or if everything goes wrong and there's a a lot of sharing that needs to happen here it it is on the coach to uh, devise the plan to uh, make a a, some hard calls some good calls to guide the lifter the lifter still has to do the work yeah Um, exactly yeah and do the work in the way that it's been put together right yeah like putting that onus on your coach six months out to give you numbers then not quite following the program for six months and then going to the competition and blaming your coach for your shitty performance is just a dog shit act uh and i think in that scenario like you know on the weekend this happened to me i watched lynn miss this opening squad uh, her like it would have been a second last warm-up just like stone cold missed it got to the bottom went to push there was nothing there uh and i immediately was like oh fuck <laughs> 
we're now going to have to drop her numbers. Like, and I'm like, like you said, doing my best to present a really positive, you can do this. It's fine. Don't stress about it. Let's just take a minute, have a breather, eat something. You know, we'll, we'll be fine. While internally I'm like, fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, we adjusted the plan. We put her in a mono, got her to do her last two warm ups. We were sweet, but I'd still already dropped 10 kilos off her opener straight away. And even her last warm up, I was like, oh man, I'm really concerned that like maybe I should have dropped it another five kilos. Got up there and fucking smoked her opener mm. and then absolutely crushed her second attempt. And then her third attempt looked like an opener. You know, it was like, it, it became a really good day from there. It just wasn't the day that I had come to the table expecting mm. based on all of her performance in the competition. And so I got nervous about it. She did a really good job of managing her nerves around it and, and trusting in me and my expertise. But yeah, it's, it's about being able to present a confident, capable front as a coach, even if you don't feel confident or capable in that scenario, because you're a human as well, right? You have emotions, you have an expectation about not just their performance, but your performance as a coach in your mm. role. Um, all of that is going to have an influence upon your results. And like to give the lifters listening to this some, some insight into the coaching mindset, you know, and John, correct me if I'm wrong, but like we make those decisions of like, hey, let's drop the opener. Um, not in the sense of like, okay, everything is going to have to drop from here, but let's drop the opener to ensure that you get it and to ensure that you get it well so your psychology is such that this felt like an opener yes. because then if you if you go out there and then you wake up and perform because now you've got that comp adrenaline you switched on we can just go back to the old plan and take a bigger jump yeah you know we, we can we can revert the, the plan can change and does often change rapidly on the day like the training informs the plan for the day but it is not set in stone no no um, and if you stick to that opener and you're just like we did this in training so we can't do it and then it's slow as fuck the lifter comes out defeated and they they walk away from their next two attempts before they even attempt them like they've yep. walked out the door mentally so to go out there and just lift something light and be like fuck yeah that felt good especially yes. once the warm-ups felt like shit yep. switches that lifter back into like performance mode and then they have an amazing day like lynn man and so much of that that coaching role on the the competition day is about making decisions that help build momentum right because in the end a miss isn't just kilos that are no longer going to be added to your total but it's a real roadblock for the confidence and momentum that you need to hit pbs in all three lifts across a long day mm -hmm. if you like you said if you come out of your squats having gone one for three and your opener was really hard and felt heavy and it was your only successful squat and then you go into bench you're going to be disheartened you're going to be struggling a little bit with the motivation to get up and perform and that's what you know sport is about is being able to switch it on for game day and so by setting you up for perhaps a smaller pb in the squad or, or an equal pb or even less than a pb but have you go three for three you know like with lynn she went three for three in the squats hit a two and a half kilo squat pb and, and walked away happy and ready to go as opposed to me being a bit more aggressive in my attempt selection, which I could have done and leaving her two for three, I've, I made the decision that the small PB and momentum was a better decision for the overall result than being married to a big squat PB, potentially then at the cost of everything else. Mm -hmm. And, re you know, remember, um, just like we were saying before, the, the comp day is not the end. Like, it's no. just a day. And yep. the testing day is not the end. And so it's like okay if your comp day is less than what we were expecting you'd probably do this i'd probably do this 
We go into the next training block, not necessarily working off the comp day, but off the training that led into the comp day, because we're like, we know what you're capable of. So we just take yep. that data, plug it into the next training block and go away from there. Because every yep, day is exactly. different for you. You know, you have weak days, you have strong days, you have good days, you have bad days. Yep. Uh, you know, your hormones change through the month. You eat differently sometimes, you sleep differently. There's so many factors go into how you perform on any given day. So if you just happen to have a weak day on comp day, big deal it happens you know there'll be other competitions i mean exactly. it, su it sucks if it's a big comp but <laughs> yeah, yeah like if you go to nationals and shit the bed it sucks it's gonna <laughs> suck losing hurts if you're an athlete and this is the thing about emotional detachment like i think emotionally detaching from failure from struggling from not making progress really useful but as an athlete nothing motivates me more than getting my ass kicked because that idea like i fucking hate losing like i i can't play board games with my girlfriend because not only am i a terrible winner but i'm a fucking atrocious loser mm -hmm. uh and i hate it and so for me actually that emotion serves me really well like a bad performance becomes a motivating factor for let's do the next one uh, so I think there's power in, you know, in both ends of the spectrum, as long as you're aware of where you're at, right? Like I know that of myself now as a 33 year old who's spent a lifetime doing some form of competitive sport, I know that I fucking hate losing and it works really well for me as a motivator, but that's not the same for everyone. Some people need those regular small momentum based wins to build that confidence and that capability but uh others if you're a little bit like me just get your ass kicked once or twice and you'll be ready to fucking go uh, this I've, I've got i want to ask you a question and it's it's probably a bit out of both of our scopes but i'm i'm curious to see what you think i would say that both you and i grew up in the generation like just before sport went from being sport to a little bit more social and soft right yeah do you I'd think that, that the combination of how perceptions around winning and losing is taught to the younger generation as well as the influence on social of social media making everyone always look like a winner all the time do you think that's made younger lifters or people entering the sport at a younger age now um maybe have different attitudes and perceptions of good days and bad days yeah i definitely see a trend in younger less experienced lifters and and in people who don't have a sporting background who come into a sport where like you said the early aspects of powerlifting are basically always making progress and it mm. seems to be really common it's somewhere in that like 18 months to three year window of like really serious consistent training the i want to say good athletes who are generally either come from an athletic background or are just incredibly internally driven and willing to do the work because they love it are the ones that run into one or two bad comps in a row maybe an interrupted training cycle and come out the other side stronger and better for it and then there's definitely an element of the population who face that roadblock and it's the first significant roadblock they've ever had in any aspect of their life and they crumble to pieces and disappear. Mm. Uh, and I, do, I don't know that it's necessarily a, um, a societal thing as much as I think it is an individual thing. I think mm -hmm. some people are brought up in an athletic mindset you know I, like yeah. i i was a sport for me was the the way to prove myself for 
all the shit that I copped as a fat kid. Uh, and so in that scenario, it's always been a driving factor for me, but there's definitely a lot of people who, you know, need a bit more pushing to go forwards themselves rather than just like holding them back a little bit or letting them make the right decision for themselves. Mm. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely interesting to see the difference person to person because it's really marked in some cases. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, cause I mean, asking that question, I, I'd never actually given it any, any thought, you know, it just yeah. literally popped into my head right now. And I, I don't, I really don't think it is a generational thing. I think social media does have a big influence. Social media on, definitely plays a role. On expectations of what progress looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, the people that are making insane, unrealistic progress, um, especially with younger, more, maybe more naive lifters, not understanding that performance enhancing drugs exist. Yeah. Uh, but but also not not having the life and uh, you know world knowledge to be like okay the people that are posting this consistent progress are going to post it because they're making consistent progress versus yeah. people that are always failing trying to train the same way aren't going to post about that yeah so you exactly. get you, you get this like um observer effect you know it's like think mm-hmm. of think think of arnold schwarzenegger right huge fan of heavy cheat curls he was probably injury resilient which is why he made it to yes. the top doing stuff like that. Then imagine all the up and coming bodybuilders that you've never heard of that had career ending bicep tears because they were doing heavy cheat curls. You know, you, you get this w- real weird like top end observer effect where it's like, that is what progress looks like and that is what I need to be doing. And then when it doesn't work, you're like, I'm shit. I'm, I, or you're making progress, but it's not as fast as that person. Or it doesn't yeah. look like that person's progress. You're like, something's wrong here because that's my benchmark and I'm not meeting it. Yeah. maybe that benchmark is really unrealistic yeah and that's that's the discussion that i feel like we're going to continue to have for the rest of eternity while social media exists in the way that it does because it's a really easy discussion to have as a person who has come through the other side of that in a you know in an athletic pursuit but um yeah the the generation of powerlifters that exist in the instagram age is definitely different in their mindset to the guys that we started with and you know began our powerlifting career either before us or around the same time because even then social media was part of our training landscape but it wasn't in the same way like you know i remember posting training logs on ozbodybuilding.com.au and Hmm. doing those sort of things which was more about connecting with the community and discussing these things than it was Mm -hmm. about showing off performance yeah Uh, and 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 a lot of the time we couldn't share videos like the the pro the process of getting a video onto your log was you had to own a digital camera to begin with his phone <laughs> yep. didn't have one um, yep. so you had to own a digital camera it, you know you're walking into the gym with a fucking handy cam that's what i used yeah, to yeah. do yeah um, i had i had a little um like a little flip one yeah yeah and then you had to film it then you had to upload it to youtube on shitty like um adsl one or dial up which would take you overnight yeah. Uh, and then upload it as or embed it into the blog which would take another fucking hour or so like it was a process to get one you know 20 second video up. you didn't just <laughs> yeah, put yeah. it on your fucking story yeah yeah so i i definitely think that's probably more where the the change is in in the generation is that it's it is that expectation of progress and what progress looks like and what success looks like like not recognizing that success is very different for everyone 
you know some people are just happy doing their novice powerlifting meets twice a year and having a good time doing it and others that want to be world champions and do all those sort of things and that's cool too uh but if all you do is follow world champions and high level lifters on instagram you're not getting the context of mm. the mum and dad powerlifter who have a real life and a job outside of training and a family and all of those sort of things which is actually in many ways more relevant to your progress as a measuring stick than the people you follow on instagram absolutely yeah i i had this um I had this conversation with a lifter the other day. This lifter of mine is going through some really, really, really tough uh, life stuff. And, you know, we've, we've modified the programming. We've had discussions around what programming needs to look like, what training needs to look like, if training is even in the picture right now. Um, and I was saying to this person, you know, they, they went to the gym, they, they hit some numbers and they were just basically making the comment, look, I, I did some work, but I, I didn't do the numbers that I wanted to do. And I was like, think, you know, a couple of years ago when you started, if you could imagine yourself walking into the gym on your worst day in your worst time and being able to throw around that weight like it was nothing like it's for a lifter testing this weekend that hasn't been able to train they're gonna hit numbers that were their dream numbers a year or two ago they're gonna hit these numbers with ease uh but because we get so tunnel visioned or like stuck in the snapshot of where we are right this second and so addicted to the data of the past we just lose sight of how uh, where we are in our journey and like what progress looks like over time it's in waves it's not a linear straight line um rest assured and this is the thing that i say to everyone with any sort of setback or time off training your strength just and we've said this a thousand times your strength doesn't really go anywhere it's so easy to get back and it happens relatively rapidly um you know how to train you love training disconnect from the numbers for a little bit just get back into training get some momentum you'll be back to where you were before you even know it yep and i think that's an excellent place to finish me too love it thank you friends goodbye goodbye